Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. And today we're going to be talking about the book In the King's Presence by Hexton Maldonado. And uh, brother, you're on the podcast right now. This is your first time. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me uh, on your podcast. I am greatly honored and uh, uh, privileged and looking forward to uh, just discussing the topic of my book. And your book is fascinating. As I say, sometimes um, we talk a lot about books on this podcast, and that's the main reason why I got into this podcast is not for ministry purposes and it's not uh, for other things, but uh, I get free books. And <laughs> that's the major reason why I do this. And so because of that, people send me a lot of books and uh, some of them I cover just, you know, to cover it. Um, but honestly, reading this book, I loved the book. I love the um, just the whole scope that you cover and, and the way you approach this because it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, so first off, uh, Pastor, just tell us a little bit about yourself. This is your first time on the podcast. So kind of give us your testimony, give us your background, kind of introduce yourself to our audience. Okay. All right. Well, I um, grew up in a uh, you know single-parent home, uh, kind of a rough neighborhood of East Los Angeles. So uh, not, not a Christian home. It was a nominal Catholic kind of home. And... Uh, you know, got uh, saved at a, at a young age. My uh, my older brother, who was five years older than I, was uh, became involved in some sort of high school youth ministry, and received Christ, and then led me to the Lord when I was uh, twelve. Um, and uh, you know, through junior high, high school, kind of hit and miss. You know, uh, ebb and flow is a difficult time. Um, but uh, you know, been walking with the Lord uh, ever since, and um, ended up going into the army after high school. Uh, spent four years uh, there, and uh, when I got out, started going to college, um, mostly because the Army says, hey, we'll give you money for college, but you've got 10 years to use it, or you're going to lose it. So um, I thought, well, I might as well go. Um, but as I began to really, you know, when you do that, you start to really think about what, what I want to do with my life. Yeah. Um, and it was then, really, through a series of circumstances and people that God brought into my life, I... I had been ministering in my church as an adult Sunday school teacher. I had filled the pulpit a few times and uh, really just began to feel the Lord calling me into pastoral ministry. Hmm. And uh, so I uh, ended up graduating from a Baptist university where I could take Greek, went on to uh, Southern Baptist Seminary, uh, graduated from there via, actually did a year at Toronto Baptist Seminary in Canada. Um, and then ended up transferring down to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, um, mostly was attracted by the, the the professors there. I mean, the professors at Toronto Baptist were great. Um, uh, learned a lot there, but had a great admiration for men like uh, you know Tom Schreiner, Peter right. Gentry, Al Moeller. Took everything I could from those uh, men and, and some some others. And uh, and so yeah. So then after seminary. Um, you know, pastored a church, small Baptist church in South Dakota for a few years and ended up coming back down to Texas, uh, mostly because South Dakota is just way too cold. Um, and then we started our church here in Belton uh, about nine years ago. And uh, so far we are doing well, started with four families in a living room and uh, now we're running about 150 a Sunday 
and uh, the Lord has the Lord is blessed. I uh, you mentioned Peter Gentry. I had dinner with him a while back. Wow. Um, I'm going to throw that out there. Okay. Um, because I can't name drop very often, but he wouldn't know me from Adam because this was a Southern uh, preview weekend, and there were uh, several students there at the table. Um, but what what surprised me about uh, Dr. Gentry was his sense of humor. Yes. Um, he's got a, a very keen sense of humor. I wasn't expecting, um, at, at that point, but yeah. now I have to say, I'm a little jealous. You went to Southern. That's where I would have, uh, that's where I wanted to go. That's where I was planning to go. But unfortunately, uh, well, I wouldn't say unfortunately, but through the sovereignty of God that did, that didn't yeah. work out. Um, but yeah, I, we, we've had, uh, Dr. Bruce Ware has been on this podcast and, um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Whitney has been on here as well. Wow. Guys from Southern. And so, um, yeah, if there's, if I had to choose any, any seminary to go to still today, I'd, I'd probably still, still choose Southern. Uh, it was a great school. Still is a great school. Yes. Peter, Jim, one of my favorites. Um, I, I just think the world of him, one of the, one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. And yet at the same time, one of the most humble mm. and uh, gentle and godly, um, just uh, you never sensed a, an ounce of pride in him, yeah. and yet amazing how much knowledge he has stuffed in that head of his. Well, that's what amazes me at, at all the guys at Southern. Um, you have these keen theological minds, and you come to find out they're actually people. They're real people um, <laughs> who who can actually talk about other topics and make things relatable and uh, really love the Lord and are passionate about their relationship with Christ. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they, but they care about students on an individual. Yeah, absolutely. They care about students. They care preeminently about the glory of God yeah. and, uh, you know, his, his word, his uh, special revelation. And, uh, you know, there is just this, this elevated view of, of God and who he is mm. and what our purpose is in life. And uh, that, that really just uh, flows onto the students when, when you're there. Well, um, so Southern, if you're listening, this would be a, a great opportunity for a partnership and a sponsorship. If you want to sponsor the pod, I'm sure uh, Dr. Muller's listening and whatnot. Anyway. Uh, so let's talk about your book uh, okay. in the King's presence, because it's really great. Um, we have, there's lots of talk about, uh, the the so-called worship wars. And I think that's kind of past now. But we still have this wrong sense of what church is all about. First off, we have the sense that uh, this growing number of, of Christians who believe that, well, corporate worship isn't really necessary, is it? Because I have a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with God. I, I have my, my quiet time by myself and um do i really need more it, it's a personal relationship so why do i need this other stuff right right um yeah i i just i think that's a mistake i think it's uh you, you know those who want to make that argument um you know quite honestly just aren't paying close enough attention to scripture they're just not reading what is there right. because God has given certain gifts to the church yeah. and he requires us to do certain things. And, uh, and, uh, you know, so, so first of all, you know, I like to, to, to say to people that, you know, well, I don't, I don't, 
I don't need to, you know, sit under a pastor or sit under someone's teaching, you know, I, it, I've got my, I've got the Holy Spirit, I've got the Bible, right. but Ephesians 4, and Ephesians 4 says that Christ gave certain gifts to the church, yeah. and of those gifts, he gave the pastors and teachers, and then it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right. Well, if we don't need teachers, then why did Christ give them to the church as a gift? Um, it, it's clear that God thinks we need teachers um, because not everybody is given the gift of teaching. Yeah. There's teach, and then there are some who are to be taught. Um, and, and it's the same with uh, with the church. If we don't need the church, why did Christ establish the church? Right. Why did he institute the church? Um, you know, Paul makes that argument so strongly in First Corinthians. You know, where we are the body, we're all members of the body. We all need each other. You, you know, you can't say. The, the ear can't say to the, the, the big toe, I don't, I don't need you. Um, we need each other. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, it's, and you're right. And that, um, that really was magnified during the whole COVID right. situation, right. you know, where, where churches, um, you know, they went online, we're going to do church online. And then when they started opening up their doors, there are still churches today. I, I meet pastors who tell me, we still can't get our members back. Um, they continue to do church online. Yeah. Um, and so we, uh, fortunately the elders at our church, we took the approach of, we did have to shut down for a short time, but we made it clear through emails, um, to our members that, uh, we're going to do, put the videos online. I'm going to record a sermon so that you can watch them at home so that you can continue to be fed. But we were very clear. This is not church, right? We're not doing church online, right? You're receiving Bible teaching. And we're going to, you know, you're going to pray, but we are not doing church unless we, and until we come together as a body, the right. corporate gathering of the saints is church. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you can get a sermon anywhere. Uh, you can listen to podcasts like this one, but right. nothing replaces the local church because first and foremost, as you said, this is a gift from God. Right. But if we are Christians, uh, and if we really love Jesus, uh, we're going to want to be with his body. That just right. makes sense. And I have to come to a rec- to recognition, a humility of myself to realize um, I'm not sufficient in and of myself. And, you know, from the very early beginnings of my life, God gave me parents. He gave me parents for a reason to guide and direct me. Even today, um, you know, I'd hate to be, I hate to think of what I'd be without my wife, and without my family. Um because when I'm doing church on my own, I direct myself. I can listen to the great things about podcasts like this is I don't have to listen to every episode. I can skip it. I can fast forward it. I can uh, not listen. No one's good. No one's good. There's no accountability. Right. Um, and I get to ignore the sins that fester in my life. Yeah. Um, but I need someone to point that out to me. Um but I think the, those listening to this podcast are probably those who come to church and, and believe that's important. If if you don't, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. I don't know how you hang in there. Um, so when we do come, so addressing those people who, who do believe that church is important and we need to gather corporately together each week, um, we still have problems with, and you mentioned in your book, consumerism, or the mm-hmm. idea of church becomes man-centered rather than god-centered i want a worship that suits my desire 
And my, so right. I can go to the traditional service or I can go to the contemporary service, whatever style of worship fits my inclination. Right. And what I love about your book is you want to completely transform that view. Right. Instead of looking at church as uh, I, I want my needs met, I want my uh, issues to be addressed, I want this to be a place where I can vocalize my whatever. But no, we approach we, when we come into the corporate gathering each week. I'm approaching the king in his temple. Right. Talk to us about how that transforms how we view this whole situation. Yeah, it, it you know it, it's all about perspective. You know, um, we we have we have gotten to the point where we have a completely wrong. And I say we. I mean, let me try to be fair. I think a, I think a, a a vast segment of evangelicalism yeah. has uh, a, a, just simply a, an unbiblical view of the purpose of church, why we are there, and that really started with the churches. Um, you know, I, I think for for a very long time, um, the, the coming from church from across the pulpit um, has been the wrong message, and people have bought into that. And the message has been this, look, what, what matters is that people are in church, right? Now, I, I think it was well-intended. Right. It was kind of driven by this, this uh, evangelistic zeal. Um, let's get people in church where they can be exposed to the Bible, where they can be exposed to God. You know, well, to do that, we've got to sort of make church appealing to them. And, and it's one of the reasons I am um, that lengthy quote in my, uh, in my, in my introduction um, you know, uh, about, you know, just this, the story of, uh, the story of a king, um, and, you know, where he goes away and, uh, you know, the, those who are left behind, well, nobody's interested in the bride. Let's dress her up and try to attract more people, um, to her. That's really the, the, the problem. And so church ends up becoming about what the people want. Yeah. It, it becomes, kind of a democracy what what do the people want what's going to make them happy what's going to keep them coming back the problem is human beings are sinful christians are sinful we still have a sin nature that by the power of the holy spirit we are mortifying as we grow in our sanctification but people are sinful which means that by nature human beings are self-centered yeah. um, and church becomes about us where the reality is when you look at the bible whether we're talking about the Old Testament temple or the New Testament church, it's about Christ and his glory. Yeah. It's about coming into his presence. It's about offering him our worship that he deserves. It's about hearing from the king, not coming there because we think the king wants to hear from us. You know, like we're, we're the blessing to him. We're coming into his presence. It is, it is our privilege and our honor to be invited into his presence, as uh, Horton says in his endorsement, you know, um, and the whole purpose of church is to give God glory and worship and honor. Um, it is his temple. It is his throne room. And therefore, we ought to approach him in the way in which he prescribes. And that's, that's the problem. And I try to use that as an illustration as well, that, you know, when we are invited into someone else's home, we try to be mindful of what their rules are, their house rules, um, the do's and don'ts of this is your home. So I'm going to abide by your wishes. You know, what, what do you want? We have taken that 
and turn it upside down. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think we need to, and that was really the whole point of my book with what drove me to write it is I kept seeing that in other churches. I, I get together with pastors, you know, monthly and uh, you know, we talk about worship and, and, and this is something that is happening um, not just in Baptist churches. A lot of this is even happening in your, your more liturgical churches and Presbyterian okay. church um, where the average member just has a wrong view of worship. They have a wrong view of church is about and so they they immediately come there with this expectation is this is all for me and it's really the opposite no it's not for you this is all for god this is all for christ so we want to approach him in a way that honors him that pleases him um not that god is going to turn this into a greasy spot if we don't thankfully there's abundance of grace um but my goodness uh i think if the church um you know, as we know it today, the, the evangelical church existed in the Old Testament. You know, sometimes I think God would have opened up the ground a long time ago. <laughs> right. So let me ask you this, because I, I see this. Um, I don't know if it's a generational issue or a denominational issue, um, but I notice. you know, I, I teach at a Christian school here in Beloit, Wisconsin. And, you know, I have more of a reformed bent to me. And so I, I tend to focus on God's sovereignty. Um, and I notice this generation, the emphasis is more like Jesus said in, in the Gospels that um, here's the definition of a friend. It's one who lays his life down for others. And Jesus refers to um, the disciples as friends. And so there's this, there's this friendship with God. That, yeah, we recognize he's a king. But God is my friend. That seems to be the emphasis of of this generation, and so therefore, again, it's a personal relationship. It's it, it's it's all about me and God, and we've lost that aspect of sovereignty. We've and you mentioned even in the book. It, it it's even uh, maybe a cultural nat, uh, nationalistic thing. As as Americans, we're proud of democracy. We're proud of our republic, our, our democratic republic, where we get to vote in presidents. If we don't like presidents, we'll vote them out tomorrow. Uh, we don't have that aspect of, of kingship. Right. Uh, how, how do you, how does that play? Into, how do we do see Jesus as a friend? I mean, Jesus is incarnational. He came. Uh, we're recording this during the season of Advent. He right. did come to Earth. He he dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. But at the same time. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. There is a throne room of, of grace that we can go to boldly, but it's still a throne room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we need to we need to recapture that idea that 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 Christ, that God, before he was um anything else to us, was king. And, and I think the, the, you know, and oftentimes it starts with the way the gospel is presented, you know, that, uh, you know, Jesus is your friend, he wants a relationship with you, um, and, and that sort of thing. And while all of that is true, that Jesus is our friend, he's our friend, he's our brother, um, you know, um, God is our father, those, those titles are true. But those titles are only true because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Right. God is our redeemer because we've been redeemed. 
Um, he is our friend and our brother because he chose to enter into a saving covenantal relationship with us, right? Um, but even when we talk about God as creator, God is only creator after he creates. He creates, therefore he's the creator. But God has always been king. Yes. He's always been king, even before there was anything, because he is the sovereign ruler of all that is. And he's always been king. And so what I try to communicate in the book is that I don't want to diminish. I don't want to diminish the fact that Jesus is our friend right. and our brother. God is our father. All of that is important. It's valuable in our relationship with God. But we Christians need to get into their minds that this relationship started. Imagine, if you will, started with the, the relationship between a subject and his king. Yeah. And, 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 and we have a king who rules over us and we see him as king. And then for some reason, he invites us into his throne room as his subject. Right. And, and come and we, we bow in his presence. We do what everybody else is expected to do. He's the king, right? And we don't want to upset him. He might chop our head off, you know, and so we're, we're, we're very respectful and mindful. And that goes on for a while until one day that king invites us to his dinner table. Yeah. And then says, you know, I want to be your friend as well. Right. I want to be your brother as well. That's special. But if, if we really went through that experience, I think we would always remember that he was my king who chose to be my friend. Right. And so that level of just reverence would always be there. Um, and I think we have just lost that. It's like Jesus just started out as our buddy. And that's all he is. And oh, yeah, right. He happens to be a king, but that's not a big deal. Right. That's a huge deal. It is. We seem to miss. And that's what makes the whole idea of friendship with God so amazing is because of who he is. Right. And, and, and you don't know what friendship means unless you understand how special that is and how unworthy of it you are. And, right. and you've, you, you lose that aspect when you forget that. This is the sovereign God of the entire universe who spoke the world into existence, and he actually knows your name. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter if the kid sitting next to me knows my name. I would expect him to. But if God does, mm -hmm. that's a whole different concept. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, that, that, that God, the creator of the universe, would choose to know certain ones on a personal, intimate level. Why? I have no idea. Don't even care, really. Just thankful, thankful that he did. And uh, man, that should just elevate. It should elevate our worship and increase it and not diminish it. Yet, sadly, so often worship is really brought down to the lowest possible denominator. Right. I love this quote you have here. It's on page 20 in the introduction, actually. Our love for God should drive us to believe it does matter what we do in corporate worship. It should drive us to scour the scriptures to see and understand all that God has commanded and prescribed to be done in corporate worship rather than to take a flippant approach to worship, believing that faith is all that God cares about. I think that's kind of what we're talking about here yeah. in that if we really do love God, if he is our friend, if he is, we do have that personal relationship, then what he wants matters because he is the king. He is the sovereign one. He is the authority in my life. And therefore it's not just, I'm going to come to church and flip flops and whatever. And just as I am, right. I, I, I'm entering the temple as a priest sacrificing for my God. Yeah. Well, then 
that changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and that's what I try to emphasize is yeah. that, you know, the book isn't about, you know, legalism. It isn't about right. you know, living by or worshiping by just a set of rules. It's about understanding who God is, understanding truly what he has done for us, because he, he didn't have to save any of us. Yeah. God is not obligated to save even one. Uh, why he chooses to save some is just astounding to me. And that ought to drive us to say, I want to please him yes. in Everything that I do, particularly in, in corporate worship, I just I want it to bring a smile to the face of God, you know, even though it may not be commanded. Right. It may not. You know, God doesn't command these things. And, and uh, you know, I, I've had conversations with others who may, you know, they, they kind of get on to the well, you know, God doesn't command us to get, you know, dressed up to go to church. Well, I, I get that. And I say that in the yeah. book. I mean, there's no command for it. Um, but, you know. When uh, when when my wife and I are going to go out for our anniversary dinner to one of the nicest you know steakhouses in town, uh, she doesn't tell me what to wear. Uh, she doesn't say, "All right, we're going out." You know, this this is what you're going to wear. Um, but I want to please her, right. right? This this is important, man. We are celebrating our anniversary. We just celebrated our thirty first anniversary recently. Um, you know, and, and it's been a joy. And uh, she is special to me and uh when i go out with her on a special night i just want it to be as special as possible but i know she would love me even if i didn't um and i know that she has no expectations it's about wanting to offer to god so going back to worship it's about wanting to offer to god our very best and it's about wanting to scour the scriptures and say god what do you want not what do I want, but right. what do you what do you want to see in corporate worship? What 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 are your desires? What are your expectations? And then and then following that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think that's an, it, again, it's unfortunate that uh, the church has taken this approach that, you know, God doesn't care. All he, all he cares about is that, that that we come with a heart of faith. And on, on the one hand. I think it's true on the one hand, I think it's true that God, uh, you know, doesn't care in the sense that none of this is salvific, what we're talking about. Right. 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 None of this is salvific in the end. Justification is by faith alone in yep. Christ alone. Right. We want to be clear on that. So in that sense, yeah, it doesn't matter, but I think it, it does matter in the sense of how much do we love God? Right. You know, um, you know, one way of looking at it is, uh, um, you know, when you, when, you know, as a pastor, the conversation comes up occasionally about tithing, right? Like, are, are, are we supposed to still give a 10%? I mean, what, what do we do with that? You know, I always take them to, you know, Second uh, Corinthians 8 and 9. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting in, in that chapter, Paul spends two, two chapters commanding that the church in Corinth to, to give generously. But it's interesting that... Um, right at the beginning of chapter eight, toward the beginning, I think it's around verse um, nine or 10. He hinges it all on what Christ was willing to do for you. Yeah. Hinges it all on the atoning work of Christ. And so in the end, yes, in hindsight, in the end, we don't see in the New Testament give a certain percentage. Now what we see in the New Testament is in light of all that God has done for you, in light of what you know, what Christ 
has done for you, um, how much should you want to give? How much should you desire to give? And, and Paul wants us to give in light of the cross of Christ. Right. Um, and, uh, I want to find that, 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 that verse. It's, uh, it's right in chapter eight, uh, beginning of chapter eight, um, verse nine. It is verse nine. And uh, here's what Paul says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you. And so Paul ends up saying, you know what? In hindsight, in light of now that we have the full revelation of what Christ, what God was doing for us throughout all of redemptive history, you know, just look at the cross of Christ as a policy. Look at the cross of Christ and ask yourself, how much of my income is that worth? Yeah. Um, you know, sadly, I don't want to get on a different topic, but I mean, sadly, most surveys consistently show that the average Christian gives about 3%. Hmm. The average Christian looks at the cross of Christ. So that's worth three cents on every dollar. Um, that's terrible. Um, but we've taken that approach into the whole corporate worship. Right. You know, in the New Testament, yes, God doesn't have all these, you know, this is what you will wear. This is, you know. Right. But in the end, God says, well, look at all that I've done for you. And how should you want to approach me? Right. And so often it's sad that, well, God should just be happy I'm there. Yeah. And so, yeah, in, in your book, you, this isn't just a book of issues about whether you should have, uh, whether ties should be 10% or whatever, or, uh, you know, should you have drums in the worship or things like that? Yeah. <clears throat> You're really digging through the scripture, uh, both yeah. Old and New Testament, to emphasize you're approaching the king. It's yeah. about what he wants, not what you want. Yeah. And uh, you are approaching a holy God as a royal priesthood. And, and I did that for a reason because, and I, I say this in the book, you know, the New Testament church was not born out of a vacuum. Yeah. I mean, there is a connection to the Old Testament. Right. Um, whether you hold to covenant theology or dispensationalism, nobody denies there's a connection to the Old Testament. Now, can we uh, say that as Baptists? Are we, are we allowed to, to say there's a connection? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Or covenant theology. Maybe I should say yeah. that or fulfillment theology or however you want to, whatever you want to call that exactly. Um, but, you know, there there is a connection to the Old Testament. Um, and, and, and I do mention this in the book. You know, we, do, we don't want to fall into the trap of Marcionism that, yeah. uh, you know, that the New Testament is completely disconnected from the Old. And uh, no, it's not completely disconnected. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. Yeah. And if he cared how he was approached in the Old, certainly he still cares how he is approached in the New. Why would that change? Um, now, certainly the you know, certain elements of worship change. And I mentioned that in the book, right? We don't, we don't offer animal sacrifices. We know that from Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter 10, Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, therefore all the other ones, he fulfills the purpose of the sacrifices, you know? Um, and, uh, and so we don't have a physical temple because Christ is the temple. Uh, but we need to be careful not to say that we don't offer any sacrifices, yeah. Because Peter makes clear, chapter two, we do offer sacrifices. Sacrifices of worship is what we offer to God. We want to be careful not to say that, well, there is no priesthood anymore. Peter makes clear there is still a priesthood, right? God still has priests. Right. We want to be careful not to say, well, 
there's no temple here in this world. Yeah, Jesus is the temple, but there's no temple. But there is because we are the temple and we're physical. So can we not say that there is a physical temple that exists here on earth? Yes, there is. Right. So we need to be careful not to just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say nothing in the Old Testament applies. Or Again, I don't know if as a Baptist you could be using phrases like that, baby in the bathwater. What, what's that? Say that again? As a Baptist, I'm not sure if you can use phrases like baby in the bathwater. Okay. Right. No, but... <laughs> Anyway, I uh, I, I got to close with this one little one little comment here. But uh, I, I, years ago, I'd met a friend of my, uh, who had graduated, got his MDiv from Dallas Theological Seminary. And he said as he walked across the stage, shook hands with the president and asked, can I get my Old Testament back now? <laughs> um, but anyway, all right. So the, the name of the book is In the King's Presence uh, by Hexen Maldonado. And so, Pastor, thank you for taking the time with us here today. Uh, to chat with us and i hope you'll everyone will get this book but thank you for coming on the podcast well you're more than welcome kevin thank you for having me on it's been a joy and i'm glad you were blessed by the book i hope i hope many are blessed by it it's it's one of the reasons i i kept it short intentionally my my publisher actually thought i could have expounded on other chapters and kind of went back and forth and and in the end i wanted it to be accessible i want people pick it up and read it and uh you know and i and i admit and i say that in the intro uh i i don't i, I leave a lot of stones unturned uh it, it's not designed to be the definitive work on worship but my hope is that it will really help people see worship in not just a whole new light but in a biblical light again the name of the book is in the king's presence you want to get this book we'll have the link to it in our show notes and so again pastor thank you for joining us thank all of you for joining us So don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. And I know I don't need to add the www anymore, but I'm old. That's what I do. Um, But you'll see the link to to this book and and to many other resources there. Check us out on Facebook. Join our Facebook group, um, Basic Bible Podcast, then on Twitter and Instagram at Basic Bible Cast. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.